Bibles with them and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 this evening. Nehemiah chapter number 1. And I know that you were not expecting to come to church to hear me preach tonight. Well, this morning about 9 o'clock, I wasn't expecting it either. But I got a phone call and uh, glad to fill in, glad to have the opportunity to. I do want to say to the, uh, while you're turning, to the men who were in the prayer breakfast, I gave you the little nutshell of the message that uh, I'm going to be preaching tonight. So if you were there, you kind of know what's coming. But uh, maybe I get to expound upon it a little bit more uh, instead of just the 15 minutes. I know that's what you were thinking. Oh, good, that 15-minute message, Brother Breland. Well, you know, stretch out a little longer. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse number 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I'm going to speak to you tonight on the subject, the first steps for success in God's work. The first step for success in God's work. And let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity you've given me. And uh, no doubt you want this truth, this sermon, this message uh, to be given tonight. Because we as a church need it. And I thank you. Dear Lord, for using me. Lord, for the, the truth that you gave me and what it meant in my life. And Lord, I pray that it would mean the same in the lives of these that hear tonight. So speak to us, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. If you have your place there in Nehemiah, we are going to be looking at those first four verses that we just read. I want to flip over to Nehemiah chapter number 6 and look at verse 15 and 16. Because when you're involved in God's work, this is what you want to see done. In Nehemiah 6, 15, it says, So the wall was finished. It's good when you start out to do a work for God and you're able to finish. But not just finish it. We'll read on in the 20th and 5th day of the month. Elul, in 50 and 2 days, in a short 52 day span, this wall was built. Verse 16, it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of God. 
you know, not only do you want to finish the work that God has given you here and the purpose that he put you here for, but you want to finish it in such a way where all the world and all the enemies would know that it was God who did it. We all have a work for God to do. He's placed us into this church and this body, and we all have a position and a place and a responsibility and a task that he wants us to do. But before we get to the first step for success in God's work, I need to bring you kind of a little background information about where we just jumped into right in the first verse. So we understand the context of where Nehemiah fits into the scope of things as God's work is being involved in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. Israel is his primary work and has focused on them. And they have become a nation. They have been blessed by God, but they have sinned. God repeatedly tried to get them to turn back to him, but they would not. He warned them through prophets and preachers that judgment was going to come. And that judgment did come. It came because the Babylonians invaded into the nation of Israel and captured them and took them captive. And much of the Old Testament, as far as the prophets are concerned, revolve around that 70-year period that they were in captivity. At the end of that 70 years, shortly thereafter, the Persian Empire invaded the Babylonian Empire. Now, this took place, uh, well, when the Babylonians took Israel captive was 160 years prior to our text in Nehemiah. And when the Persians invaded a little over 70 years later, Cyrus, the first Persian king to rule over them, made an edict allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the city, the walls, and their lives. Zerubbabel gathered together the first group of some 50,000 Jews and went back to Jerusalem. And the temple was rebuilt in about 23 years. It was a struggle, and it was difficult, and it was very hard work. But the temple had been rebuilt. After that, things kind of fell apart. And it was some time later, about 75 years since the first group went back, that Ezra gathered up some four to 5,000 people, and he went back as well to Jerusalem to beautify the temple and to reform the people and continue the rebuilding work that was needed to go on. This group led by Ezra was about 13 years prior to Nehemiah in our text. So Nehemiah knew of Ezra. And no doubt Nehemiah being, uh, as we find as we finish reading chapter 1, that he was the king's cupbearer, that he had a place of service in the palace of Shushan, which was the summer home for the Persian kings. And his place there was that of being the cupbearer for the king. And he could not just up and leave. Uh, that was his place and his task. And he was born, no doubt, in captivity. There were probably two to three generations there that had been born in captivity, and Nehemiah was there. 
So the things that Nehemiah knew about Jerusalem, about God, and about Israel were just by word of mouth and by the diligent teaching of his parents and his forefathers and the other men of Israel. But Nehemiah, no doubt, was a very, very uh, spiritual man and a man of great and high character. So 13 years Ezra had left, and no doubt Nehemiah was just anxious to know that things were going well there, but had not heard. Nehemiah will eventually lead that third return and actually build the walls, as we just read about in chapter 6, verse 15. But before that, there were some steps that had to take place. In just a 52-day span of time, the walls were built, but it took many times more days to prepare for that work to be done. Well, that ought to be a lesson to us that before we can ever do anything worthwhile that is visible, there are some invisible and spiritual things that have to be dealt with and have to take, take place before the physical work can be done. There's three aspects to these verses that I want us to note tonight. The first thing I want us to note is the inquiry that Nehemiah made. In verse number 2, he simply says that Hananiah, one of my brethren, which we believe to be his actual brother, came, and he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. He inquired of the condition of Jerusalem and the Jews. Now to me, this is kind of remarkable because, as I mentioned, he never saw Jerusalem, the temple, walls, or the city. And here he is, a man who is living in a very good situation in the palace, far from the troubles and suffering of God's people in Jerusalem. And the distance between him at Shushan the palace and Jerusalem is a little over a thousand miles away. It would be very similar to us being here in Hattiesburg and this situation going on in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's about how far it is. It's remarkable that he was so far removed from their troubles. Usually it's out of sight and out of mind. But there was something beating in the heart of Nehemiah that God had put there for his work and for his people. Just imagine if Nehemiah had went on about his duties and never inquired as to the condition of things in Jerusalem or the condition of the Jewish people there. He asked. And boy, as I read this and studied this, in my own heart I was so convicted because how much is going on even in our very own church that we do not know about because we never ask. What's going on with our missionaries on the mission field? What do you know about them? We do not know because we do not ask. What's going on in the ministry of the school? If you're, not in, if you're involved in it, you may know. But if you're not, what are the needs they have? 
We do not know because we do not ask. And yet it's right under our nose, out of sight and out of mind. But Nehemiah was not that way. He had inquired. Well, it's so easy for us to get self-absorbed, isn't it? Now, we take more time to inquire of others, of their condition, and not just ministries, but other people and what's going on in their life. The battles that they're facing, the problems that they have. The Jews in Jerusalem here symbolize the work of God. And Nehemiah had a great regard for God's work and wanted to know how things were progressing, and we should too. We need to have greater interest in God's work and what God is doing and in what God desires to do. Do we have any concern for the work that God is doing? And we would have to say yes to save face, but in our heart of hearts, we must ask ourselves, how many genuine inquiries have we made about God's work? We note the inquiry. Secondly, we note the information that was given to him. Verse number 3, They said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. It was some very bad news that Nehemiah got. Not what he was expecting. I'm sure that he was alive during the time and knew Ezra pretty well. And as Ezra took that group of people off, I'm sure his heart yearned to go himself, but he could not because of the position that he had and his responsibilities. And and with every prayer and every hope, I'm sure that he was praying and hoping that things were going well and he was going to hear news that, yes, not only had the temple been rebuilt, but... The homes had been rebuilt, the wall had been rebuilt, and that Jerusalem and the Jewish people there were flourishing. But that was not the case. His brother told him the sad news that the group of people there, and look how he referred to them in verse 3 as a remnant, they were very small. They were very small, and they were scorned people who had great opposition, and they were under great affliction. Same word is used in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and is translated as sad. So they were very sad people. This oppression that they were dealing with was weighing heavy upon them. The city was not rebuilt, and it had been some 80 years. Can you imagine? It had been an 80-year period from the first group going over until now, and the, the walls, the work is still not going forward. It is stalled out. It is not progressing at all. No wonder he said that it was a reproach. Because it was not only a reproach on the people, but it was a reproach upon God. Because this was God's people. And God's city. And God's work. The walls and gates were a constant reminder of a reproach to them and to God. The Jews in Jerusalem symbolizing God's work, and yet they had problems. You know, that's a hard thing for people to accept in God's work, that God's work has problems. 
I don't know. We just kind of think, you know, if it's God's work, everything's going to be good. Nothing's going to be wrong. Well, the problem is in God's work, He gets sinners involved, right? (laughs) And in God's work, that's all that can be there. Us sinners working and trying to do God's work. But there are problems, and it's very difficult sometimes when you find out that there's problems in God's work, and Nehemiah finds that to be the case. But notice the effect this information has upon him and the realization that these problems are there. In verse 4 it begins, and it came to pass when I heard these words. And don't just read over this. Here's what happened, that I sat down. I sat down. It stopped him in his tracks. It was a shock to him that God's work was dealing with so many problems and was not advancing. You know, sometimes we can get too busy. And if we don't purposely sit down to inquire and sit down to find out what is going on and what God wants. God said, be still and know that I am God. We have to have times where we sit down. And we can get so busy with our life, we can get so busy in our ministry, we can get so busy in our work, in the seasons of the year, and boy, that time is coming on us that we tend to get real, real busy, isn't it? But boy, we as God's people need to be able to stop and to sit down and consider His work. And what is going on? He sat down and it says that he wept. He wept. May I ask you, when was the last time you sat down and wept about God's work not moving forward? at Central Baptist Church. Not because you got hurt. Not because something's wrong in what you're trying to do or what you would like to see done. But weeping because God is being dishonored. Because God's desires are not getting fulfilled. Because God's work is not like it ought to be. Boy, that's a question for us to think about. Not only did he sit down and weep, the Bible says that he mourned certain days. Certain days implies to us that it was not just one day that he mourned, but it had to be many. If we consider the time given to us in chapter 1 and verse 1 in the month Chislu, and then chapter 2 in verse 1, the month Nisan, the time in between those two, when the king asked him what was wrong with him, those were, that was about anywhere from three at the least to four months at the most. So we'll just say a four-month time period that this was going on with Nehemiah, that he was mourning. 
He was sitting down. He was taking time on purpose to sit down and to weep and to mourn. But that's not all he did. It says, and fasted. This was such a grief to him that he was willing to skip his lunch break and pray. Let me ask you, when was the last time you sincerely and truly fasted and prayed over a need? And not just in personal needs, we do that, we can, but when is the last time you just fasted and prayed about God's work? Boy, as I read this, I was so convicted. Asking myself these questions. And I'm like, Lord, no wonder. No wonder your work is stalled out. No wonder we have to look hard to find a blessing in your work. We get so busy. We get in our routine and we just show up for church and we make it to church and we feel like we have done God's service. But what about His work? What about what He wants done? Nehemiah, when he heard the news that God's work was not moving forward, he sat down and wept and mourned and fasted and prayed. God was being dishonored. So we see the information. The third aspect I want us to consider is the intercession. The end of verse 4 it says, and prayed. Nehemiah's response to the problems in God's work was prayer. Most deal with these problems in the wrong way. And you say, what is that? What's the wrong way? It's any other way besides prayer. Here's the process that normally happens. When we get hit with the information and realize that there's problems. First off, we're oblivious to any problems in God's work. Normally, this would be someone who's a new member of the church or recently saved. Things are perfect and wonderful, right? But if you stick around long enough, guess what? You're going to find out we're just sinners saved by grace, right? We're human. And there are mistakes made. And there are problems. Oh, my. What we tend to do to begin with is just say, okay, okay, everything's not perfect. Take a deep breath. We're just going to put on some blinders and not worry about that. We're just going to ignore this and we're just going to move on. We can give them a little space here and everything's going to be just fine. And most people do this initially, but, you know, that little problem just keeps irritating away, doesn't it? It just keeps getting after you. And it bothers you and you get focused on it and maybe even consumed with it. And 
Before long, you start trying to find a sympathetic ear. Someone else who sees the same problem or notes it, and you may throw out a comment here or there, fishing to see if they have the same viewpoint as you do about this situation that's wrong. Some may even get to the point where they're like, something needs to be done about this problem. And they go and they talk to ever who is over that particular ministry or either go talk to the preacher to let him know that there's a problem going on. And oh yeah, there's a problem. And guess what? About 99% of the time, he already knows it. Your visit to him is probably not going to be a great revelation. All right? (laughs) It's not. And I understand. You know how I know this process? Because I've opened my eyes sometimes and I've been all the way down. And it is a temptation for us to do. And it is a warning sign, and it should be a warning sign to us that we are not praying for God's work. If it gets bad enough, we may step down from any positions that we hold. Or we may back out of any involvement in the church until things get right. May I tell you? You may be waiting your lifetime if you're going to wait that long. Then a decision is made to either leave this church for another or to be so disgusted that you leave God and not going to have anything to do with church again. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this process work out in the lives of people. And how I can look out and I can see it going on and there's nothing I can do. If we're going to begin to fix the problems in God's work, it must begin with prayer and continue with prayer. Much can be learned from the prayer that Nehemiah prayed, which we don't have time to cover completely this evening. But a few aspects of the prayer I want you to note. First of all, he realized that he had to get in on God's plan. Nehemiah realized that he had to get in on God's plan. I remember one time a church asked me to help them out. They needed an interim pastor and they had asked me to come and meet with a group of men and discuss the possibility of that happening. And so we did. And so... They began to tell me some of the problems that they knew about in the church and that they were having or some issues that were causing some conflict. And so we began to discuss those things and they asked me what my opinion about a certain matter was. And I began to tell them. But you know, as I began to tell them, I realized that they really wanted to know my opinion. that they did not want to know God's opinion. 
And a mistake that many make is that this church body is a collection of the personal opinions of every member. That's not what it's supposed to be. The boy churches out there are doing it, aren't they? Do you realize that the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the head of the church? And His opinion is the only one that matters? And that that is the opinion that we ought to be seeking after and praying for and trying to discern? Hey, I want you to know that our preacher is seeking after God's opinion. He is wanting to do God's will in this place and see God's work done. And we as God's people ought to be praying that God's will will be made known unto Him and to us and confirmed in our lives. And the only way that we can do that is if we are praying. God sets the priority of the problems He knows all the problems, even the ones that we cannot see, and He knows which ones need to be dealt with and which ones need to be left alone for now. And He determines the path out of the problems and how to fix the problems. And He works through the leadership of His church, which is His man. And our responsibility as members of the church is not to try to fix the problem, but to faithfully pray for God's work and for God to lead our pastor in dealing with the problems. Amen. Right? But the problem is, is that we have not prayed for Him as we should, nor for God's work as we should. Therein, our progress is hindered. He realized that he had to get in on God's plan. And I told those men that, hey, look, we are not here for our opinion. We're here to seek collectively God's opinion and put that into practice. Can you imagine how unified our church would be if every one of us would be seeking and praying for God's will to be done and being surrendered to it no matter what it was, looking to God to solve the problems in the church, looking to God to give us a clear pathway out of the problems we're dealing with and to make solutions for us. Oh, help us to be that kind of people. He realized he had to get in on God's plan. Many times we pray, and when we pray about those problems, we pray telling God what He needs to do about the problem. That's not praying. He prayed about God's work. Specifically for God to open the door for Him to help solve the problem. May I ask you, I am anyway. How much of your personal prayer time do you spend praying for God's work? You have a prayer list? You pray? Pray for your family? You should. Pray for your children? You should. Pray for wisdom for yourself to be the 
I do for the husband I ought to be, for the father I ought to be to my children, for the employee that I ought to be for my boss, for the Christian I ought to be to God. Pray for wisdom and power and strength for all of those. There's people we pray for, for health. We have a whole list of of them on our prayer bulletin. We pray for them and we pray for needs that we may have in our own family. What percent of your prayer time, let's just suppose you pray an hour a day. That may be much or not enough for you. You adjust it however, whatever it is, but how much of that time is spent in praying for God's work? Boy, if you were like me, you'd have to admit it's a very small percentage. And then when we do pray, do we pray with the right spirit? Nehemiah prayed with anguish of heart and a contrite heart we know God never despises. He did not pray out of frustration over a problem or anger because things were not right. He did not pray demanding action or hoping for retribution for some injustice that had been taken place or of a situation that affected him personally. That was not prayer. But I'm afraid it can characterize many of our prayers in some cases for God's work. You see, we're getting down to the root of the problem here. He confessed his sin and the people's sin. Why do these problems even exist? Because of sin. It's what led them into captivity. It is why they are suffering reproach. Sin is a reproach to any people. They went into captivity because of their sin and they now, though given some liberty, still bear the reproach of their sin. And the very fact that Nehemiah began his prayer with confession points to the fact that this was the chief reason for the problems. Sin is at the heart of the problems in God's work. But I began to think, Nehemiah in his prayer said, I and my father's house have sinned. It wasn't Nehemiah's fault they were in, had gone through captivity. It wasn't his fault that Jerusalem lay waste and the walls weren't rebuilt. He was born in captivity and as a servant in the in the palace in Shushan. How could he bear the responsibility? And you know what? I've seen it. No doubt that has been in your mind about the problems in God's work, even here at Central. You know about the problems, but it's because, oh, so-and-so did such-and-such. I don't have any responsibility. What made Nehemiah say, I 
have sinned. And my sin has brought reproach upon your work? It's a good question. It's hard to figure out. I don't know that I have. What could it have been? I don't know what it could have been for Nehemiah. But I did get a sense of what it may be for me and God's work here. You see, there are sins of the flesh. And we focus mostly on them. And there are sins of the Spirit. Anger, bitterness, backbiting, gossip, complaining. That reveal a heart that is not in tune with God. And there are sins of commission and sins of omission. Especially omission. Not doing what we ought to be doing. Like praying. May I say the reproach in God's work that we experience. I mean, there's a lot of great things about Central. There is. But to deny that there aren't any problems is throwing up or trying to a facade. God never blesses that kind of deceit. What an opportunity we have. A fresh start. Why don't we be totally honest with God about ourselves? And why don't we take that first step of success in God's work? Like Nehemiah did confessed his responsibility. Lord, I have not been praying for the preacher like I ought to be praying. I have not been praying for this work like I ought to. I have not been praying for souls like I ought to. Lord, I've been focusing on problems and I've got a bad spirit and I'm getting angry and I'm getting frustrated with the way things are not are going or are not going. But do you know what? When you get in alone with God, And you bow before him. You're saying, oh God. Hattiesburg needs this church. Your work is not moving forward like it ought to. And God, I'm partly I'm responsible. I hadn't read my Bible like I ought to. I haven't sought your face like I ought to. I have not prayed for your work like I ought to. I pray about my problems. I pray about how things affect me. I pray about all the things that involve my life. But I haven't cared like I ought to, Lord, about your work and about your desires and what you want to see done. 
And I haven't prayed for your hand of protection on the preacher and his family. And I haven't prayed for you to give him wisdom every day in deciding what priority these problems need to be solved and the right way to go about solving them. Lord, it's my fault. Oh God, forgive me. And this is the prayer that I have prayed. And I bring before you tonight as a fellow church member. And I ask you if you won't take that first step too. We seem to have a disconnect between the problems in God's Word and us personally. And we're never going to find true success in God's work until we take that first step and we realize it's His work done in His power and done His way. Through his people. And this is just the first step. There's five more chapters till we get to chapter six and the work's finished. But if you will take every step on your knees, it'll become much clearer. Tonight, don't take it as a rebuke. I don't know of any trouble. I don't know of anything, any problem. Well, I know some. I do know some problems. I can see them. But you know how I'm dealing with them? When I start to sense that I'm frustrated or angry, about some situation. You know, the devil wants you to get out of church, right? And most every time you're going to go down this path. He wants to get you out. But God wants you in. Even though it's not perfect. And it's got problems. It's His church. If he doesn't want to do anything about it yet, why should we? And if he hadn't directed leadership to deal with it, who are we to say that it ought to be dealt with? Our responsibility is to faithfully pray for the work. And if God's man and God's place won't do God's will, when the people of God are praying for God's will, He's the one who can raise men up and take men down. Our job is not to focus on that. Our job is to focus on praying for God's work. Lord, help us to take the first step to success in God's work. Let's pray.